As we look this morning, if you'll look with me in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we're going to be talking about basically Peter and John and what God has done in their life. You know, they had the day of Pentecost and, and the Holy Spirit came down and filled them. And now they were radically changed just by being with Jesus. But now they are radically changed because the Spirit of God is working within them, empowering them, strengthening them, encouraging them, and giving them wisdom. He, the Spirit of God is doing all that needs to be done in their life, and they have been radically, radically changed. And as I look at these verses here, I see so much that can be talked about. But the thing that I really want to look at today is the fact that because of Christ in their life and because of the Spirit of God being in control of their life, they were able to do great and mighty things and stand against the resistance that was coming against them and still be faithful to what God has called them to do and be. And folks, that's what the church needs to be doing today, but we're not. We have rolled over and played dead. The church in America, I've been around the world in many, many, many different countries. And I'm telling you, the church in other countries are different. I never will forget preaching in Romania, and it was a blizzard outside. And they had no heat in this building that they had built. And it was snow everywhere. In fact, I had, because I didn't know it was going to uh, be a blizzard when I left home, I didn't bring a whole, I brought some warm clothes, but not for that. <laughs> and I was preaching, and I had the pastor that I was staying with in his home, I had his thermal underwear on. <laughs> I had clothes, and I meant I had a hat, I, I, I was, and I was freezing. I'm telling you, those people walked through the snow, through the cold, through the blizzard, to church, and sat on cement pads and sat there and listened and worshiped God. And if we don't have everything for our comfort, we won't even come. And we won't stay very long. I noticed that AJ said an hour or more. <laughs> I promise I won't keep you that long. But, <laughs> but <clears throat> I'm just saying, I see in here what we are supposed to be doing and who we're supposed to be. And so often that's not who we are and that's not what we're doing. And folks, you are in a transition now. You, your pastor that you loved, that, that did a great work here, now is gone. And you're looking for somebody else. But now is a great time for you to decide who you are as a church. Who do you want to be? What are you going to do? Folks, I, I looked at some data and I gave it to AJ, and we're going to talk about it. But I looked at some data, and, you know, just within a five-mile radius, there's 
between 15 and 20,000 people that you're responsible for reaching with the gospel. And what are you doing? I don't know because I've just gotten here. I don't know what you're doing. But you need to ask yourself the question, what are you doing? What are we doing? Who are we? We are representing Christ, the great and mighty God, the creator of all things, the one that gave us salvation, the one that has said that we are to go out and share that salvation with a lost and dying world, teaching them and preaching to them and sharing the gospel with them so that they may know him. Are we doing that? Are we being faithful to what God has called us to do and be? Let's look in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 13. It says, Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man had been healed, standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so, excuse me, but so that it will not spread any further among the people. Let us warn them not to speak no longer in, uh, to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Notice verse 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you, we just pray that you will help us to understand what that really means. We cannot stop. Speaking about you and what you have done in our lives, the salvation that you have brought, the grace you have poured into our lives, how you have constantly been faithful to minister to us and take care of our needs. We cannot stop speaking about you. And so, Father, I pray that you will help us to understand that truth here today and that we will be faithful to what you have called us to do and be as your people And Father, I pray that you will awaken each and every one of us and that we will understand that we have a great responsibility that we're going to be held accountable for one day. And what are we doing about it? But more importantly than that, that we love you so much that we cannot stop speaking about what you've done in our lives to people who desperately need to hear the truth. Father, speak to us now in a mighty way. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look 
here we see that the early church was making a mark in Jerusalem. They were turning Jerusalem upside down. My question is, is Dublin Bible turning Dublin upside down? My, my question is, and somebody reminded me, I've heard this many, many times, but somebody reminded me of this this week. If Dublin Bible ceased to exist today, would the community miss it? Would they even notice that you're not here? Do they even know you're here now? You see, those are questions that you've got to ask yourself. You see, people are being saved by the thousands here, and Jesus is being proclaimed by John and Peter. And Jerusalem is being turned upside down because they are faithful to do what God has called them to do and talk about him. You see, they were radically changed, and, and they gave themselves over to the Spirit of God to be used by God in a mighty way to promote God, to praise Him, to worship Him, and to share Him with a lost and dying world there in Jerusalem. <clears throat> Just prior to this passage, Peter and John had been used of the Lord to heal a, a beggar who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. And you see, the Jews who were in the temple when this occurred were amazed. They saw this miracle that happened, that, that through John and Peter, Jesus had healed this man. Peter used their amazement over the miracle as an opportunity to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, he took every opportunity, every teachable moment to share the gospel we have teachable moments all the time that we never say anything about Jesus. But they took every opportunity they could to share the gospel. And while he was preaching, the, the Jewish leaders caught wind of what was happening. And they showed up and they arrested Peter and John because they were preaching that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that he is God. And that he is the savior of the world. The very next day, the Jews convened a council to talk about what to do with Peter and John. They didn't know what to do with them. You see, Peter once again used that opportunity to preach the gospel to the Jewish leaders about the Lord Jesus Christ. He took that opportunity. Notice, every opportunity he had, he took. Every opportunity he had, he shared who Jesus was. Notice in verse 12 in chapter 4. Notice what he says. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He was bold. He didn't leave any room for misunderstanding. He was, he was truthful and honest and bold and forceful. In love to share the gospel with all that was around. You see, the Jews were upset by what they had seen and heard. And, and they were upset that the name of Jesus was still being preached. Even though they thought that they had done away with him. They saw him die with their own eyes. They thought he was go gone and done and over with. They took Peter and John and they threatened them. 
And they tried to prevent them from ever preaching and teaching about Jesus anymore. And while the Jews may have hated Peter and John and the message they were preaching, there were things that were happening that they could not deny. There were things that were going on and people's lives being changed and, the, and Jerusalem being turned upside down. And they couldn't deny what was going on and the power that was being portrayed. You see, we are living in an hour that is just as antagonistic toward the gospel as in ancient Jerusalem. We're living in a time where the world is pressing in around us and pressing into the church here as much as any other time have we seen the church be threatened. And we are just sitting here doing nothing about it. We just sit here and we, we don't pray about it. We don't say, you know what, we're supposed to be out in the world. No matter the cost and no matter what happens to us, we are supposed to be out there sharing the gospel and helping people understand that Jesus is the only answer. Because right now, I'm telling you, even in Dublin, Georgia, if you look at the statistics in Dublin, Georgia, We've got about 90% of people who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You go to New York where Mike and, and uh, his wife are going next week. We've been on mission trips there many times. You go there and 99% of the people do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I'm telling you there is a lost world all around us while we sit here and really do nothing about it. The world looks at the church and there's some a lot about the church that they don't understand and they don't even like. But one thing for sure, you know, if the church is being the church the way it's supposed to be, they can't deny that something is real there. They can't deny that people has been changed by that gospel that's being preached. You see, they would love nothing more than to be able to silence us and our message. They want us to become more like them. They would like for us to loosen up and quieten down and, and fall down with them on their march straight to hell. That's what the world wants. They want us to have, the, have our children, put them in a government daycare, put them in government schools through the 12th grade, and then put them in government colleges, and all the while they indoctrinating them away from God, and they are indoctrinating them with, with things that should never, ever be taught, and we don't do anything about it. We just give them our children and let them be indoctrinated. I'm here to tell you there is a point that we have to, as parents and as a church, begin to stand up and do and be what God asked us to do and be. A light in the midst of darkness. Salt in the midst of the world. Making a difference in our daily lives. You see, while the world and worldly people may hate us and hate everything that we stand for, if the church is being the church the way it's supposed to, there are things that they cannot deny. So let's look at some of those things really fast. Number one, the master that we serve and that we love and that has radically changed our lives cannot be denied. 
You see, as the Jews questioned Peter and John, two characteristics stood out about them. These characteristics could not be denied. You see, in, in Ephesians, it tells us, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it tells us not to be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. What's supposed to control us? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. Not the things of the world, but God is supposed to be in complete control of our lives at all times. But we've got everything else controlling us. And we're chasing after all the things of the world. And we're being more worldly than we are godly. And we expect to change the world being like that. And that's not going to happen. It is only when we are filled with the Spirit, constantly filled with the Spirit, and allowing God to use us in a mighty way can we change the world that is around us. When Peter and John spoke, they did so with boldness and with confidence. The word refers to unreserved speech. It is an idea of someone speaking their mind without regard to what others may think. Now, let me explain what I just said. You see, when that kind of speech occurs in the power of the flesh, great harm can happen. When we speak with boldness, but it's from the flesh here, we can hurt people's feelings and we can turn people off and we can make, cause great harm. But when we speak with boldness because we are following the guidance of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to speak through us and give us words that we need to say, great good can come about. It is allowing the wisdom of God to be spoken through our lips. You see, do we recognize the Holy Spirit? Do we recognize that the Holy Spirit is working in our life and bringing conviction in our life, trying to help us to be everything that we're supposed to be, being more Christ-like each and every day? Do we recognize that and allow Him to have control of our lives? Or do we push Him aside so that we can put the things of the world in our lives? Consider for a moment who is doing the talking. It is Peter. He is the same man that denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. The one who denied Christ has become his most vocal person. He's a spokesperson that is sharing the gospel now in boldness and great confidence before he, he cowered down and said, I do not know this man. I've never seen this guy. I don't know who he is. How do you figure that? It is the presence of God in his life. It is the presence of the Spirit of God. And he's allowing the Spirit of God to be in complete control. That's how God can make a difference in our lives. You know, look at the power that they possessed. You see, they were amazed when they heard these men speak because they were uneducated and untrained men. Now, what does that really mean? Uneducated is the word eugranimous. It means illiterate or the one who does not know his letters. Ignorant refers to a commoner or an unskilled man. So they were looking at these people. They were uneducated people. They were just common people. But yet and still, they were turning Jerusalem upside down with the gospel. Where did these men learn the truths that they were sharing? How did they get this boldness? 
You see, where did they gain the boldness with which they were now preaching and sharing the gospel? What happened in these people's lives to make them into what they are now? They had been with Jesus and allowed the Spirit of God to control their lives. That's what the church is supposed to be like. We're supposed to be a powerhouse, not a wimpy place. We are supposed to be the power of God working in the midst of darkness in this world. The Sanhedrin remembered seeing Peter and John with Jesus in the temple at his trial. They knew these men. These men were doing just exactly what Jesus had done. He had confronted the religious establishment with the truth from heaven. And they were doing the very same thing. You see, they were confronting the establishment with the truth of heaven. That is what we're supposed to be doing. We are to be out in the midst of the world, confronting the world with the gospel, with love and grace and mercy, because we care about them. We love them. We want them to know Jesus. We want their lives to be changed. When Jesus comes into a life, he brings with him his awesome power. He can take the weakness among us and use them in amazing ways for his glory and his honor. In Ephesians, in chapter 3, verse 20, notice what he says here. In Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do, for, no, chapter 2, I'm sorry. In chapter 2, verse 14, no, let me, <laughs> let me look at that again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, I was right. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all, those, all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He's able to do more in our life than we can ever, ever imagine. Now, also, I want you to notice with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Notice with me in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Now, if you look at the Greek there, a better translation for workmanship is masterpiece. So we are his masterpiece. We are his glory. We are the things that bring glory to him because he took a rotten, no good sinner and made them a saint and child of God. All right, notice what he says. He says that we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are to be busy doing what God has created us to do. And that is to glorify him. That is to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. That is to honor him, to do his will. Jesus said the disciples could not understand Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And they brought food back and they were trying to get him to eat. And he said, I have food that you don't know about. And he said, and they couldn't understand that. They didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, my food is to do what? The will of the Father. My food is to do the will of the Father. That's the most important thing in my life, is to do the will of the Father. 
And my question is, are we doing the will of the Father when we stay within the four walls of the church and don't make a difference in the world outside? You see, there are people in this room who have never earned a degree from any institution of higher learning. But you know more about God and the things of God and theology and what the Word of God says than anybody who has gone to get a degree in the higher uh, educational system who does not believe the Word of God to be true. You see, the Spirit of God can teach you deep things of the Lord. I'm here to tell you, my mom got married. She was an older lady. Uh, and so back then, people got married very early. And she got married when she was in the sixth grade. She didn't get an education until she was 60-something years old. She went and got her GED. But I'm here to tell you, when my brother was killed in a car accident and she came to know Christ, she wanted to know Christ. But she couldn't read very much at all. And so she got me to help her to learn to read the Bible. And every day, day in and day out, she read and she read and she read. And I'm here to tell you, she was the greatest prayer warrior that you ever have seen in your life. You don't have to have all the education. You don't have to know everything. God can do a work in you if you let him. And God can make a difference in your life. You see, his power is a redeemed, of a redeemed life is undeniable. The power of God working in a life that is letting him have his will and his way in their life, that's undeniable. You know that God is at work there. He will move in you and cause you to do the same things that Jesus Christ did, just as he did, to be faithful to God and to accomplish his will. He will cause you to be busy loving others, helping others, serving others, and obeying God among other things. It's amazing. It is amazing to me what God can do in the life of somebody that's totally yielded to him. Notice with me in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, notice what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Notice he didn't say, I hope you will be or you will try to be. He said, you shall be my witnesses. Now, notice what he says here. Both in Jerusalem, where they started, and in all Judea, where they were sent out to, when they all of a sudden became persecuted, they were scattered. But then notice what else he says. And all Judea and where? Samaria. Why is that important? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. They would go around Samaria because if they went through it, they had to come unclean. They didn't have any love for the Samaritans whatsoever. But when the Holy Spirit came into their life and was in complete control, guess what changed? Their love for the Samaritans. Your love for people out there that you've never been able to love before, you will be able to love because it is the Spirit of God working in you, causing you to love other people. 
You see, the second thing we see is that the miracles that happened that day was because of the disciples being obedient. You see, the, the Jews are in a dilemma. On one hand, they have the disciples, and, and they're turning Jerusalem upside down. These men are amazing. They are full of the power of God, and that cannot be denied. And on the other hand, they have a man who has been healed. He is standing there. They see him. They know him. No doubt they have seen him many times, and they've made their way past him as they went into the temple. They had probably ignored him, refusing to give him any alms or any help, and now he's standing there in their presence, and he is not crippled any longer. A miracle has taken place, and they couldn't deny that. And everybody else knew that a miracle had taken place. He had been sitting there at that, that gate for many, many years. He was healed when he was over 40 years old. He's been lame since the day he was born. So everybody knew him. And they knew that there's been a change in his life. Because of Christ and because of these men. Look, now he can walk. In chapter 3, verse 2, it tells us that this man had been born lame. Tells us in chapter 4, verse 22, it tells us that he was over 40 years old when he was healed. But in chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, it tells us that the formerly lame man is leaping and walking and jumping and praising the Lord. He has been changed. Now, he didn't understand everything about Jesus or know everything about Jesus or know who he really was. But one thing he did know, Jesus had changed his life and he wanted to make everybody else know that. Jesus has changed your life. Do you want to make sure everybody else knows about that? The same is true in the church. There are people sitting here today who have been radically changed by the power of God, radically healed by the power of God. You are not the same person that you used to be. You are now a new creature in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. And so here we see that we have been radically changed. Are, are we like the disciples? Are we like this lame man who wants everybody to know about that? When Jesus saves a soul, he brings the convert out of death and darkness and depravity into the life and light and grace. His presence in our life is a miracle that cannot be denied. But so often we stay in the four walls and nobody out in the world can see. But also look at the worship that was going on. Here is a man who got up that morning. He was carried to the beautiful gate and sat there begging for handouts. His life was the same day in and day out. Somebody would carry him there. He'd beg all day and get enough to make it through to the next day. But look at the change now. As soon as he is healed, he begins to praise the Lord. Should that not be what we're doing? We come to worship and we're doing this and we're saying, well, you know, uh, when's he going to be through? Um, uh, I got so much I need to do. And our mind is everywhere else except on him. Praising him, worshiping him. You see, the word praising means to sing praises or to extol. This man went into the temple not to worship, but to beg. And while he was there, he got more than he had ever bargained for, and he was healed. He doesn't know much about God, but one thing for sure, he loves him now, and he's ready to praise him. 
And if we really love him, we're ready to praise him. If we really love him, we're ready to praise him. You see, isn't it what happens when a sinner meets Jesus? The change is dramatic and instant. The person suddenly desires to worship him. He may not know much about him, but one thing he knows is he's changing my life. That person suddenly has an appetite for the things of God. That person suddenly has a testimony that he wants to share. That person suddenly feels things in his heart that he has never felt before. That's what a Christian experiences. They have been saved and they know it. They are different and they know it. And they have been blessed beyond words and they know it. It's a miracle and they want to share that with everybody they possibly can. But third of all, we see that there's a message that we must get out. You see, everything that took place that day took place because of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All these things were for the glory of God, and he received the most glory from the preaching of the gospel that all the world needs to hear. Peter lets the Jews know that it is a message that he must preach. Notice with me in chapter 4, verse 20. Notice what he says. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We are under compulsion. We cannot not tell people about Jesus. The miracle is a precious, but everything hinges on the message the miracle was great, but it is the message, it is the gospel, it is the truth of the word of God that we need to get out to a lost and dying world. Peter wants these men to know that it is the true message of God that makes the difference that he cannot stop speaking about. In 1 Corinthians 9.16 it says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For woe is we as Christians if we do not preach the gospel. The message they preached that day is the same message we preach in our day. It is a life-changing message about a soul-saving God. And we need to be out in the midst of the darkness sharing that light and that message. What is that message as we close? It is a message about love. The message we preach and the message that changed our lives is a message of a death and of a crucifixion and a resurrection. In chapter 4, in verse 10, notice what Peter says. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead... By the name of this man stands here before you in good health. I'm here to tell you he was bold. And he was truthful. But he was loving and he was graceful. And that's what we're supposed to be. You see, the message we preach is of a Savior who loved us so much that he took our place on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him and have eternal life with him. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died 
for us. I praise God that he loves me like he does. It is an eternal, unconditional, selfless, and glorious love. In Jeremiah 31.3, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, it talks about that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take that away from us. But look at the life that now they are living. You see, the message they preached is about a Savior who died for his sheep, but it is also about a Savior who rose again from the dead. You see, it is a message about a sacrifice, but it is also a message about a success. Jesus entered death to save his people from their sins. But he also rose again on the third day to provide eternal life for them. And so often we think about eternal life and we think that's when I die as a Christian and I go to heaven to have eternal life with him. That's not true. Eternal life starts at the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Your life is radically changed, and eternal life starts at that point. You begin to experience eternal life in your life each and every day. In John 10, 28, Jesus says, And I give eternal life to them, and they will have, and they, excuse me, and they will not perish, and no one will snatch them out of my, out of my hand. But also look at the liberty that we see there. In chapter 4, verse 10, once again, we see that Peter has a liberty to tell these people, you killed him, but he came back, and he radically is changing lives. You see, Peter and John told the Jews that it was this message and the Savior behind this message that was responsible for the changed man that they see before them. The message of the gospel brought help and hope to a life ruined by the blight of sin. The message they preached is a life-changing message. And how many of you have people out there in the world that needs a life-changing message and you're not sharing it? You see, that is still a message we preach today. The gospel still has power to save old sinners. It can open the eyes of blinded people by sin. It can straighten the limbs that are withered by sin and evil. It can cleanse away the leprosy of the soul. It can deliver those held captive by the sins, enslaving them in their power. You see, it can bring to life those that are dead in their sins. Jesus has the power to set man free. In Psalms 118, and I love this verse. In Psalms 118, in verse 5, it says, From my distress I called upon the Lord. And the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Now, what does that mean? Here David is saying, I'm in distress, I'm in trouble, I'm in difficulty, and I can't do anything about it. And I called out to the Lord, and the Lord was right there with me, and he answered me. And then notice what it says, and he set me in a large place. If you really look at the Hebrew, what that means is he set me free. He set me free from my distress, from my troubles, my difficulties, my pain. He set me free. That's what God wants to do in your life and in my life. 
to set us free. You see, we should not be ashamed of the message that changed our lives. We should not be ashamed to live that on a daily basis. The world would never understand our Savior. They will never comprehend the lives that we live. They will never grasp the reason we are like we are. All they can do is live for all we can do is live for Jesus and preach the gospel and give him the worship that he so much deserves. They must never be left alone in the midst of their darkness without somebody bringing light. They must never be out there without any hope whatsoever when we have all the hope in all the world. You see, there are some things that the world looks at and they don't understand, but they also look at us and they can't deny that something's different. And you need to tell them what that is. You need to be out in the midst of the world telling them what that is. And Luke, as I close, and Luke chapter 10, you remember there's a lawyer that comes to Jesus. And he asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And notice what he says here. He wants to know what the greatest commandment is. He wants to know how he can have eternal life. And then notice what he says here. In verse 27. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will what? live folks my question as I close do you love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength or do you love him for what he can give you or do you love him just a little bit when it's comfortable and convenient you see we need to love the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength and that will change our lives that will make us different. As Peter and John was different that day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you, we are so thankful for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus who came and died so that we may have salvation. Father, I pray that you will just help us to be obedient. And not stay in four walls. But to be out in the midst of darkness sharing the gospel loving our neighbors, inviting them over so that we can share the gospel with them. Every encounter that we have in the world, there's all kind of people out there that we have the ability and the possibilities of sharing the gospel with and we just walk on by. We're almost like the Levite and the priest as they walked by the man that was on the road. But the good Samaritan came by and took care of him. Religious leaders, religious people didn't have a love for this man. So often 
the world loves more than we do. We need to be faithful to what God has called us to be and do. We pray this all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.